Book of Romans. Book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to you, Say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, then prophesy according to the portion of faith. If service, in his serving. And he who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Then, verse 12, we will get to in just a second. But all of that has to be a a whole package, if you will. How many understand that? It's a whole package that we're dealing with. That whole package of what does a Christian look like It teeters on knowing the awesomeness of God. Christian living, it is demanded that we know who God is. We can't just randomly go out and do willy-nilly based on what we feel or what we think unless we're saturated in the Word of God. Can we then serve Him? Fervent in spirit, the idea is. Verse 12 of Romans then says, that's what we're dealing with this morning, rejoicing in hope. Genuine love rejoices in hope. Genuine love perseveres in tribulation. Genuine love is devoted to prayer. These things are so true. We found in the last couple of weeks, genuine love Versus hypocritical love. Hypocritical love is disguised love of self. Genuine love hates evil. Genuine love cleaves to that which is good. Genuine love is greater than familial love. Genuine love out honors one another. Genuine love is not lazy. Genuine love is zealous. Every Christian does Every, the whole point of all this is all Christians do what they do because they're motivated to serve God. Not to serve ourselves, but to serve God, serving the Lord. The motivation, the motivating foundation for Christian living 
is submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Which means true believers love the Lord. True believers love the Lord. Genuine love, and this is where we're at this morning, rejoices in hope. I just want you to pay attention real close to these words, and then I want you to think critically or think differently of what they're trying to say. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. The first two. Rejoicing in hope. If we're rejoicing in hope, is it because we live in hopelessness? Let me ask you this. Persevering in tribulation. What does that mean? Why would we have to persevere in tribulation? Because tribulation's coming. This verse is kind of a downer, to be honest with you. Because as a Christian, we want everything to go well and easy and simple. How many love the simple Christian life that's always perfect? No sin, right? We all fall trapped to this. Yesterday it was cold, windy, rainy, and I bet you most of us were complaining there was no sun. Today's sunny, beautiful, gorgeous. And if it keeps doing this for 10 more days, you're going to complain there's no rain. Right? Because it's all based on feelings and issues and it's about me, but it's not about me, amen? It's about God. Genuine love will rejoice in hope. Genuine love is the theme of this paragraph. If Romans 12.12 is themed as a result of genuine love, and it is, why is it that Christians need hope? Because this world is hopeless. Hopelessly without Christ. If, 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 why is it that Christians need patience in tribulation? Because tribulations are coming. Why do we need to be consistent in prayer? Well, the only thing that seems to drive us to prayer now is problems. We need to be consistently relying on the Lord for everything. Amen. These are practical and logical ramifications of the underlying issues Christians will face. This is an issue. Why do we need hope? Unless the world seems hopeless. Why do we need patience? Unless we will be going through tribulations. And why do we need prayer? If we are at our own end, we are our own end. In other words, we can handle this. Well, we can't. The Christian life looks like hopelessness and tribulation because that's normal in this depraved world. If your hope is based on politics, you will utterly be disappointed. If your hope is on the government, it will fail you. If your hope is in a friend, they will fail you. Our hope must be in Christ. Amen. There is no other place. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 is very clear on this. 1 Peter chapter 12. I'm wondering if I, I did. All right. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, 
which comes upon you for your testing. Who's allowing this to happen? Who's got a plan in this happening? Jesus Christ, amen, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, we as Christians expect hopelessness, expect tribulations, expect testings. That's going to happen. Romans 8, verse 23. I'm sorry, let's keep reading. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. In other words, you're going to suffer. But don't you dare suffer as a sinner, understand? A murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a trouble meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not ashamed. We're going to suffer one way or another. Suffer as a Christian, amen. He is not to be ashamed, but it is the glory of but it is to glorify God in His name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those for the, who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficult difficulty that they become, that the righteous is saved, that will become of the godless man and of the sinner. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Folks, we're going to all suffer. We've all suffered, and we are suffering. Suffer for the Lord, for there's glory for God in that. All others is worthlessness. But let's just be honest. It is true that Christ has come and carried our sins. Amen. Is it true that Christ has come and carried our sins? Amen. He has carried our sorrows to the cross and into the grave and left them there. And He rose so that now we have unshakable hope in Christ. And this hope gives rise to joy. That's why verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. How? How in the world can we rejoice? How in the world can we go around with a smiling face on our Christian face? How? I mean, let's just think about it. I just paid over $5.49 a gallon of gas. Food chain in our country seems nefarious at best. COVID, or maybe better stated, the scare of COVID has destroyed our thriving economy. They are paying people to stay home and not work. The percent of U.S. adults who identify as something other than heterosexual has doubled over the last 10 years, from 3.5% in 2012 to 7.1% February of 2022. And at this moment, that 7.1% is running our country as Biden states, we have more people in the LGBTQ 
plus people than any other administration or every administration combined. And he's proud of that. People have been demoted and even fired for not taking a vaccine by the same people crying, my body, my choice, in their embrace of abortion. The right to murder an unborn child is so charged by the pro-abortionists that they have now advocated, and I quote, increasing, I mean, this was just within this last couple of weeks, increasing drastic measures might not be so easily cleaned up as just fire and graffiti. Published, this was published on, uh, in a newsletter on Tuesday declaring, by the pro-abortion people, it is now open season on pro-life pregnancy centers. And I quote, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. The infrastructure of the enslavers, and I'm, I'm quoting from these people. This is the pro-abortionists speaking here. The infrastructure of the enslavers will not survive. We will never stop, never back down, never slow down, never retreat. We did not want this, but it is upon us. And so we must deal with it proportionately. We exist in confluence and solidarity with all others in the struggle for complete liberation. Our recourse now is to find, is, our recourse now is to defend ourselves and to build robust, caring communities and mutual aid so that we may heal ourselves without the need of medical industry or any other intermediary through attacking, we find courage and strip the veneer of impermeable held and impermeability held by these violent institutions. What are they calling violence institutions? The crisis pregnancy centers. On September 6th, Senator Dianne Feinstein said to Amy Coney Barrett, when you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's a concern. When you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country, talking about being able to slaughter babies. I'm going to show you this. This is Kamala Harris. If you're able to chip in now to the Minnesota Freedom Front to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. Recognize the time on there. June 1st, 2020 is when she tweet, tweeted all of her friends to send money to bail out protesters. Listen, let me ask you, let me tell you this. Do you know when the um, police station was burned down and the whole town was ravaged? May 28th to June 1st. Defending Ms. Harris, Mrs. Harris, the Washington Post states, at the same time, people who sent millions of dollars to this fund, MFF, to avoid peaceful protesters may be surprised to learn that their monies were not needed in the first place. Which says what? Our government's not protecting 
from evil. The U.S. Capitol. I want to get rid of this because I really don't like this on our page. <laughs> the U.S. Capitol was taken over by an upset mob. It was. Someone planned to assassinate a Supreme Justice. A mentally deranged man shot up her grade school. Right now there are people in Ukraine and Russia that are feeding soldiers poison-laced cherries to kill them. Yeah, it's bad. Wickedness and evil has a foothold and is dragging this country to oblivion. It is. All I did, I just wanted to show you that we are in a hopeless situation. Do you know why this world and this country specifically is in a hopeless situation? Because they're without God in this world. It is a godless nation. Christ has no input into this nation as far as they are concerned. All the, but they don't understand God, Christ is in charge of everything. The biggest problem is the church is silent concerning the only true hope this world can embrace before it's too late. How many are tired of hearing all that garbage? How many of you are tired of giving the people the truth that Jesus Christ died for them and they can know them, Him as their Lord and Savior? Or let me ask it a little differently. How many of us have even asked people about their eternal life? You see, we can sit here and complain about all the bad things that are happening, and they're bad. But we should understand that it's the ramifications because the church has absolutely failed. We are the light. And this country is, is at the brink of total darkness. We have failed. You're just those angry Christians that hold to their guns and Bible. Why aren't we known as, you're just the Christians that keep telling us about this guy named Jesus. But that's not what we're being talked about as. Because there are other things that take priority over Jesus, maybe. The absence of joy in many Christians is concerning and it's only getting worse. For the text says, this joy sustains patience, endurance, which is why verse 12 says, be patient in tribulation. Hebrews chapter 12 too is so important. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. By the way, even one of those encumbrances is the news. They're giving us the world's news when we should be giving them Christ's news.
But there's, we've got this greater cloud of riches, so let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for, joy, for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Think about that. The joy set before Him endured the cross. Do you realize what He's saying? Did Jesus know He was going to die on a cross for His enemies? And how did He come to that point? With what attitude did He bring before it happened? Joy. Joy! Despising the shame and sat, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Piper says it this way, and so we see that endurance sustains us in the sacrifices of love since the cross was the most loving act that was ever done, blood-bought, Christ-exalting hope yields immutable joy, which enables patience, endurance, and affliction, which sustains the sacrifice of love, which brings Christians joy. I will tell you this, a grumpy Christian is a Christian who has lost sight of Christ. It is. It's just simply the fact. How many of us came to church grumpy old man? I'm not going to pick on the women because I'm picking on the men today. <laughs> You've lost sight of Christ. How many want this hope? How many think this would be a great thing for Christians to walk around as if their life has hope? How many think that would be a novel idea? What an awesome truth to rejoice in hope. Listen, true believers rejoice in hope. In other words, they're excited to be in the hopelessness of this world sharing Christ. What produces and sustains our hope? What is it? Say, man, I'd like to have that hope. When I see a Christian come just beaming, loving the Lord, and, and just their whole aura is unbelievably exciting to be around. How many have ever been there? What would happen if this whole church had that? What difference would that make in this world? What produces and sustains this hope? You see, we got this idea. We come to church. Oh, we're all smiley. But I bet you what? Getting into that car with all those kids and messing all around, it wasn't joyous to begin with. Get in that car. Get in, where are you? Hey! You got mud on your shoes. Hey! 
We're supposed to look good at church, right? Here's a novel idea. Why don't we just pretend that church starts on Monday? Because worship never ends. What does produce this? I would say Christ. What sustains this? Christ. So the question rose, if, if hope is the foundational to joy and endurance and love, what sustains this hope? By the way, what is foundational to this hope? This is not the question at hand. The question is what produces and sustains. What is foundational to hope is what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation to our hope. Folks, there are people in this world that are without hope, and it's because they don't have Christ. Every single person that does not have the Lord Jesus Christ has no hope. They're faking it. Their hope might be in their money. How's that going to work? With 22% inflation rate, eventually. Or whatever the case. I hope you understand that all this is futile. We should be preaching Ecclesiastes. It's all worthless. The foundation of our hope is Christ. Christ died in our place. Amen. Christ was resurrected from the dead. Amen. Christ sovereignly reigns over the world. Amen. Christ, our foundation, never changes. But we change. We are vulnerable and fragile and fickle and emotionally unstable. What produces and sustains our experience of hope? What keeps our heart fixed on Christ? What is it? Well, I should have been doing this. I apologize. What's the foundation? Our foundation is in Christ. What sustains the hope? What produces and sustains hope? According to the text, prayer. Total reliance on Him. Now, there is another one. It's not in the, 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 this close context, but it's in the larger context. And let me, I'm going to give you that hope because I'm going to have Mr. Zarin read about, what did he read about? Anybody know? Do we have a greater hope that we're looking and anticipating? Yes or no? Right. Do you know that God saw fit He's going to rapture us out of here. How do you know that? How do you know? After the rapture, there's going to be a whole mess of tribulation going on for seven years. And I'm going to be rejoicing with God in heaven. How do you know that? What's the answer? Scripture. After the tribulation comes... Jesus Christ is going to set His feet on the earth and set up His kingdom. How do you know that? Scripture. 
After that kingdom, there's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain. Diseases are healed. God's there. Amen? And He's going to then have a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be in heaven forever to be with the Lord. How do we know that? I will tell you this. There is no hope without Scripture. There's no hope without Scripture. Not only do we see it that in our eschatology that we've been preaching, but we can also see it in Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? How do you know the mercies of God? Scripture. Scripture is your ally. Scripture is what produces and sustains hope. Amen? You have prayer. Total reliance on Him. Who do you go to? Remember, when you're first married or when you're in college and you're out of money? Mr. Biden wasn't the first guy you called. The government's not going to be there. I will tell you who was the first guy you called. Who was it? Hey, Dad. I need some money. I need some help. Do we not do that? Do we not, all of us, rely on somebody else? Yes or no? We do. How is it when you rely on somebody, let's just say we were going to go fishing on Lake Michigan, be there at 5 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock rolls around, there's no boat. 6 o'clock rolls around, there's no boat and there's no hope. And there's no joy. Why? People let each other down. Each and every one of us have let each other down. We're not Christ. Folks, instead of, there's nothing wrong with going to dad, going to mom for help and advice, but there is a great father. God never changes. He's always the same. He's immutable. He is holy. He is perfect. He is sovereign. And we must be going to God for our needs. Amen? Always lay Him at our feet. Why? There's no one greater to give Him to. So prayer, total reliance on Him. By the way, prayer is absolutely humbleness. Amen? You're realizing that you are nothing apart from God. And therefore, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Talk to Him. Ask for help. Total reliance on Him. And number two, Scripture. The evidence of who God is, is what He does. And how do we know that? From the Word of God. From the Word of God. So, we have the greatness. Uh, let me get this all. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 and 19 says, and by the way, this is so good. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. By the way, that's right on the heels of verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14 are this is who God is. 
Then he says to him, listen, Ephesians, I pray for you. You're, do, you're doing awesome. You're doing great. But I pray that you know Him. Know God. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. How are the eyes of your heart going to be enlightened? Word of God. So that you will know what the hope of His calling. How are you going to know the hope of His calling? The Word of God. What are the riches of His glory? How are you going to know the riches of His glory? The inheritance of the saints, how are you going to know that? The surpassing greatness of His power, how are you going to know that? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Where he pre- then he, he, then he, here's what he did. He's, what is he doing, by the way? What is Paul doing when he says in verse 18, I am what for you? He wasn't Bob the Builder. I'm going to come fix it. He says, I'm praying for you. I am just a man. I'm praying for you. I ask that you may know what is the hope which he has called, which he has called you. What are the riches of His glory of the inheritance? What is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe? To keep you for the hope laid up for you in heaven, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4-5. through 5. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. <laughs> I hope we realize that by one Stroke of a pen in this country, all your savings can be gone. That is not your hope. I had a guy in our shop this last week. He said, Tim, you're getting your doctorate, and that's awesome. You can you can go and go to a... a, a, a um, a higher education, make hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, and retire from this. Isn't that going to be awesome? This is what God's called me to do: preach the word of God, teach the word of God. I know He meant it for good, but I was kind of offended about that. Am I a nobody building this stuff? Am I worthless? How many understand? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Why? What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the inheritance. We rejoice in the imperishable, undefiled gifts. We rejoice in, we rejoice in heaven. We rejoice, re, re, rejoice, hard to say that. <clears throat> we rejoice because the power of God can destroy anything. Greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. There's one various trial I've been distressed with, and I know every one of you have. How many are tired of that? That one note. 
and the whole choruses of them. God has a plan. Amen? God has a plan. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed for various trials. Why? Why? Why trials? How many want to know why trials? How many are tired of trials? Want, want to know why? Anybody want to know why? Oh no, that's not godly to ask. You can ask God why because He tells us why. Look what He says. He says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even through the tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In essence, if you love Him now, how much more are you going to love Him then? As you know more and more about Him, you will love Him more and more and more. One of the functions of prayer is to enable us to see and savor Christ as our hope so that He is more precious to us than anything else. Without pray, pay, praying this, uh, without praying this aim for ourselves and our children and our church regularly, we should not be surprised if our hearts drift away and start feeling that our hope is in money, it's in work, it's in family, and a hundred other things that compete with Christ as our treasure. Is that not true? I'm reminded of our distraction thing called movies. Obi-Wan, you are our only hope. That's so untrue. Christ is our only hope. And He is our complete hope and our fulfilled hope. So we pray. What else? Well, it's not only prayer, it's also God's Word. Now today we ask again, what produces and sustains hope? Since hope sustains joy, and joy sustains endurance, and endurance sustains love, and love is the aim of all Paul's instruction. 1 Timothy 1.5 says it this way, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If we had a love from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith, without all the distractions, what kind of a believer would we be? Would we be a hopeful one? A rejoicing one? The great battle for the Christians is to sustain joyful hope in Christ. It is a battle. Bad things happen in this world. We do dumb things and bad things. So it's not just everybody else, by the way. Amen? <clears throat> we must see our future with Him as more precious and satisfying than any other treasure.
Is Christ the most great, great, the greatest treasure you possess? Is he? I remember at one time. Right now, I'm 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 in the selling mood. I was just talking to Bob. I said, "Man, I got these wheelers. I want them out of here." At one time, I couldn't wait to get the best four-wheeler I could at the cheapest price. Do you know how much work they are? Do you know how many times they break down? Snowmobiles are worse. Fishing boats aren't best, very good either. They rot. What is your greatest treasure? I heard it said this way, and I, I don't, I'm probably going to get it way wrong, but it, this, it fits very well here. <clears throat> Religion is being in a boat thinking, or be, I'm sorry, religion is being in church thinking about fishing in a boat. A relationship is fishing in a boat thinking about God. That's kind of true. Where's your treasure? Why is it that the Word of God should bring us hope? If you remember, there are people in the Bible who actually ask the question, why? Why Why do these rich goofballs run everything when they're running it into the ground? Why, do, why is this happening? Why? How many of you ask that question, why? Why do the good guys get off? Why? There are minor prophets that ask that exact question. But let me go through some things that should encourage you. <clears throat> Before we get there, I just want to finish this up and then I can just run into this and I'm excited about it. The text tells us prayer sustains joy. But the context tells us that renewing our mind also sustains joy in verse 1. Is that we read and meditate and then we memorize God's Word. God has appointed these two means, prayer and Scripture. Above all, for the awakening and the sustaining of hope. Prayer and musing on God's Word. If you neglect prayer, your hope in Christ will diminish. And now we will see just as clearly that as if we neglected the Word, how easily if we neglect the Word, that our hope will also diminish. Paul says it this way. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. He's calling us to love again. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Why? Verse 19, you can read it right there in the text. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Did you ever wonder how Paul was going to preach Romans chapter 1? Think about that. No, he preached the Bible that he had. 
How do we know that? This verse. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And he says, as it is written. Our hope doesn't become, come from seeing Jesus in a cloud. Our hope doesn't come from crossing our fingers or doing the right aura around you or the sense of whatever. Our hope comes from laying at His feet all of our problems and trusting in Him to fix them. And then it comes from reading the Word of God. How do you think Israelites felt in Egypt? The world power has enslaved us. We're building all their monuments and there's no way out. They just killed all of our men. Well, let's find out. How will we find out? We'll see in just a little bit. You see, what he quotes is a promise. God will settle your account. You don't have to do that. How many believe that? God will settle the account. God is just, and God will sweep no evil under the rug of the universe. All accounts will be settled. This is Scripture. That is something we learn when we read the Bible. And what is it? What is it? Its effect? It lists the burdens of vengeance. You've seen, I'm sure, many movies where. I have to get back because they did this to us. I need my revenge. And that's their whole life. There's a couple bad things about that. There's many bad things about that. But let me ask you, what kind of a life is a vengeance life? Do you remember watching the karate things? Don't do things for evil. Don't let that well in you. Even our, even our uh, sci-fi movies like Star Wars, the force within you, right? What is all that stuff? The only and greatest motivation there is on this earth is a love for the Lord. Amen. Now that's all missing in those movies. But they do have part of it right. Evil doesn't win. Evil never wins. It will be destroyed. Eventually be destroyed forever. Reading the Word of God lifts the burdens of our vengeance. It's not for us to get it right. To make things right. As in, unless we've done something wrong, obviously, you need to make amends for that. But if someone has wronged you, it's not for you to have the vengeance. God will take care of it. We don't need to carry this weight. God will. He promises that no wrong against us will be overlooked. We don't need to carry the load of being God. You can hope in Him. You can count on future justice. Luke chapter 6, verse 28. And in that hope, you can rejoice and endure and love even those who abuse you. Paul illustrates implicitly by his own use of Scripture how we are to use Scripture. Read it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. And then get hope and joy and endurance and love from it. If we don't do so, we will be conformed to this world. Be not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? Be saturated in the Word. Be filled with the Spirit. How's that going to happen? Kumbaya. I'm breathing deeply to get the Spirit. 
Does that work? Be saturated in the Word. Amen? I tell you what, I don't know how many times I've run upstairs excited. My wife's like, okay. What did you learn now? But yes, what did you learn now? Amen? Word of God is awesome. We give ourselves daily to reading and thinking and memorizing and praying. We will be transformed in the renewing of our minds and we will have our hope made strong and our joy unshakable even in suffering. That's Paul's explicit demonstration of how crucial Scripture is when he says in verse 19, vengeance is mine. Read the text. God will take care of it. Now let's go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> we'll see Paul's straightforward, explicit statement that this end is what the Scripture, the Bible, are for. Namely, to awaken and sustain hope. We who are strong and have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Why? Why was the scripture written? that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, that might is not a might like we understand it. If you are saturated in the Scripture, you will have hope. Amen. It will be life. It's real, true. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In other words, He's telling us again to what? To love each other. Paul would use Jesus Christ as an example. Christ, of course, chose pain that we might be blessed. So we act that way too. It's not astonishing that Paul would use Jesus' self-sacrifice as an example of calling us to please our neighbors before ourselves. But let's look at some other verses that may be an encouragement to you. But what is astonishing is where he goes when he says in verse 3, For Christ did not please himself as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's using the Old Testament to show us New Testament people that the Old Testament brings hope also. Amen? What other passages are there like this? Well, let's keep going. We're going to do this. <sighs> I'm getting way ahead of myself. And they're wrong. Rejoice in hope. Be present, patient in tribulation. How do we do that? Prayer and the Word of God. Ephesians 1.18 
Enlighten the eyes of my heart to know the hope of my calling and the riches of your glory of your inheritance. There is no other way to find hope apart from time on your knees and reading the Word. Let me share with you some things that happened that we know happened. Could you imagine being a Christian in Sodom or Gomorrah? I just read and showed you, or I didn't show you, well I did, I showed you evidence of Harris. I just read and showed you the Sodom and Gomorrah living today in our country. When we are celebrating wicked, in-your-face sexual sins against God, we have a problem. When we are willing and when when Americans are willing and waiting to kill people over the right to abortion, we have a problem. We have, and it's not just the people of the country, it's the leaders of the country. We are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. But let me ask you, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They had a barbecue. They just didn't realize they were the barbecue. Who did that? He won't put up with it. His vengeance. Now, could you do that? Oh, I could call him a name. God destroyed them. Utterly destroyed them. What about Egypt? Here's God's people being slaughtered, being used as <clears throat> slaves to build their temples and monuments and all their things. Could you imagine being there? What did God do to them? How many plagues were there? Ten plagues. Was God long-suffering? Hey, here's, I'm showing you that I am God. Oh, you don't believe me. Okay. I will increase now and show you that I am God. I will increase and show you that I am God. Over and over and over ten times until finally He wipes out all the oldest child men. By the way, that was important to them. By the way, why do you think Egypt, it talks about Egypt destroying the male in each Hebrew home. All male kids dead. It was important to them. Extremely important to them. And what did God do? He took one of the most important things to them and destroyed it. You see, we have hope. God will not forget us. Amen. He will not forget His own. Let's put it that way. He'll take care of it. See now that I, even I, am He. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I would, I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver you out of my hand. That's God. How many say, oh, I thought they were going to get by with it. 
No one gets by with it because God is perfect. Does that give you hope? What about in Job? The Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them. As far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. We'll go, go beat them. Whatever. Here's some hail. During the tribulation, he wipes out a third of the people of the earth. How many remember taking a uh, gun safety class? Anybody remember doing that? By the way, whether you like guns or not, you should all take a gun safety class. Just being honest. Uh, one of the responsibilities is to protect yourself. That's what God says. Regardless, in that gun safety class, I remember a question very clearly. What kills more animals? People? Or... Um, nature which kills more animals well those gun-toting people of course they're the ones that kill more animals uh, no nature wipes out more animals than man ever could or would God is in charge and he's the one that is to be in charge he will take care of it. He gives and He takes according to His own wisdom, which mingles justice and mercy in perfect proportion. He does not, own, he does not owe any human any life. He doesn't. Your life is a gift from God. Another example is in Amos 4.10 where God reminds Israel, what he had done. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses and I made the stench of your camp going up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declared the Lord. What is wrong with you? Can't you see the work of God? Now let me ask you, can we, could we be there and see the work of God? We can now through the word of God. We know this is what God does. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36, describes what God did to Shennacherib and the Assyrians when they came against his people. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians. 185,000 people! And we think Samson's great. <laughs> he ain't nothing compared to God. And he killed them in their camp. Do you remember Gideon? <laughs> what are you going to fight with? The latest and greatest? Yeah, the lamp. And smash it. And they went around killing themselves. And when the people rose up early in the morning after the 185,000 people died in the camp of the Assyrians. They were all dead bodies. Could you imagine that wake up? 
Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, describes one stroke against the earth. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent, and they did not give Him glory. Scripture keeps the solid foundation of God's sovereignty, which then gives us our hope. By the way, because of anti-Calvinism, there's an anti-Calvinism movement amongst evangelicals. They hate to use the term sovereign God. Let me ask you this. Is there any more hope than to know that we have a sovereign God? Amen? He is absolutely sovereign. Scripture keeps the solid foundation of God's sovereignty under our hope. It sustains our hope. The nonsense and evils of our times are not new. And they are not ever over until God says they're over. We don't know all that God is doing in them. God's please Please, Christians, we need to be on our knees and plead with the Lord, restore our hope. As we rely on your complete sovereign care through prayer. And as we see your perfect plan and know who you are and what you are doing and what you will do, let us not lose hope, but rejoice in all you are and all that you will do. Amen. For He can never fail. So, I don't even know what channel Vox News is on anymore. Amen? The world is full of wickedness. It's full of hopelessness. It's full of me-only-ism. That's not your job to fix that. It's God's. What our job is, is to rejoice in Christ. And live in Christ. That means we submit to Him in humbly praying, Lord, help us. Rely on Him in that aspect. And we search the Scriptures daily to know more about Him and that He will not fail. He is immutable. Let me ask you, where is your hope today? Because most of the time, our hope has been distracted by other things we call treasures in our lives. And they have taken the place of God. we got to fix that. There's a thing called Facebook Marketplace. It works. Get rid of it. What do I need it for? 
I know a pastor. He told me, I've fixed all the problems. I've named my church, my, I'm sorry, I named my boat visitation. So when people call me, I just tell them I'm on visitation. What was that man's treasure? The boat. I will tell you this. I have had some of the greatest times in my life ministering to others on a boat. They're a captive audience. They can't get out. I've been out on Lake Michigan where I cannot see either side with a 16-foot boat. That was kind of scary. <laughs> but I will tell you this, the gospel has been spoken multiple times. People know the truth. I can't make them believe, but I can certainly give them the hope they need. Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're hunting, fishing, shopping, whatever. As long as it's not sin. Amen. But use it for His glory. Use it. Instead of like the world, they use news to control people. Use the techniques and all those things that are out there to share Christ with everyone. So they too can have hope. Listen, they don't have any hope in the world, do they? They're without God. Who's there they go to? So they go to the media to help them. They go to the stars to see what they're doing to get all this popularity and thing, And they mimic them. Because no one has told them. The only hope there is is in Jesus Christ. You must... Repent and believe in Jesus. Then and only then will you truly find re real, genuine hope. Listen, folks, you have that hope. Right? Don't let the distractions get you distracted. Share that hope. For this world, more than ever, needs that hope. Amen? Rejoicing in hope. There's in a sense, you could say, rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in Christ. He's done this. He's done this. He's doing this. He did that. Oh man, I don't deserve any of that. Have you noticed that in our society today, it's called the society of what? Entitlement. That is the antithesis of what God says. We're entitled to nothing apart from Christ. We are nothing apart from Christ. Man, people need the Lord especially Christians, but the whole world needs the Lord.
Bob, can you close this word of prayer, please? Let us stand up and I'll close us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word being preached and Lord being spoke to us. And Lord, where we all have fallen short is telling people about Christ. And Lord, being focused on other things than that little statement that we can busy ourselves with things that really don't matter. And all of us are guilty of it, including myself. And Lord, we need to be diligent because the world is following false gods, false religions, just following themselves and calling evil good and good evil. And Lord, just let us be a little beacon in the world in this little town and give the hope that we know that they need. We thank you again for this time and let us go about this week now in your heavenly name. Amen.